those of you who've seen the movie, you know, he, he comes up with this scheme of good deeds where you task the person. Once you do them a, a good deed, you task them to pay it forward to three other people. And then he begins to show how that can make its way around the world. Sometimes Hollywood stumbles onto a good message. Stumbles into a message of grace. In this case, a very powerful message of grace. The fellow who is in the story I'm about to read you here from Scripture, from Luke chapter 10, needed to be in that fifth grade class. He was not as smart as a fifth grader. He, uh, he needed to be in this class. Can, can you imagine... Uh, being uh, in this class and seeing that, that, uh, that fire lit. Can you imagine being in this class and seeing this movement begin and saying, okay, that's enough. Can you imagine being in this class and seeing, seeing this movement catch fire across the community and start to spread? And then say, now how far are we going to take this? How far should this go? Can you imagine The lawyer in this, not picking on lawyers, not picking on lawyers this morning, but the lawyer who is questioning Jesus in this passage of the Good Samaritan, he he is effectively asking, how far should we take this business of grace? And I think when when you begin to, to dig under the layers of what this passage has to say this morning. How far should we take it? You'll begin to answer the where question of your legacy. From the word of God, Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, that is Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he Desiring to justify himself. That's interesting. Said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, 
I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, would you bless this word not just to our hearts and souls and minds, but to our strength that we may walk it out. In Jesus' name, amen. The place where God calls you is where the world's great need and your deep gladness meet. That's Frederick Buechner, great writer, a recluse in Vermont. I've always wanted to go up there and just meet him um, and just knock on his door. Hey, I read your stuff. And I love that, I love that quotation. That's my favorite Beekner quotation. The place where God calls you is where the world's great need and your deep gladness meet. Today we'll explore this passage by looking at the world's great need and your deep gladness so that you can begin to ask yourself the question for you where does the world's great need and my deep gladness really meet if we're going to understand where God calls us we have to first understand the world's great need what is that what is the world's great need the lawyer asked Jesus what do I have to do to inherit eternal life. What's he really asking? What's he saying? What's he asking? Isn't he asking, am I going to be okay? In the simplest form, isn't he just saying, am I okay? How do I know I'm okay? Am I justified? Am I righteous? I mean, I know that I'm not perfect, and I know that I've done some things that I'm not proud of, and I know that I'm born into this broken world, and I'm a broken person. Am I going to be okay? I mean, I've read the scriptures, and I know how to sum um, uh, all of them up in, in two, you know, love God and love others. Love God, love others. But am I going to be okay? And Jesus takes a Samaritan, and begins to show through the Samaritan a shocking picture of what it takes to be okay. Why, why is it shocking? Why does he use a Samaritan? Why, why does Jesus use the Samaritan as the hero of the story? It's, it's to shock. It's to get their attention. It's to, it's to jar you. It would be as if, as if he said in modern day, as if he said... All right, there was a man who was a Christian, and he became a Muslim, and he joined ISIS, and he, it's equivalent to that. It's as if he's saying someone from the West who joined ISIS were the hero, the merciful, compassionate hero of a story that I'm about to tell you. It's a shock. Because the need is greater than the lawyer is presenting. 
The need is not for a transaction of good deed for good deed. The need is for transformation. But unfortunately, for a lot of the Jews at the time, the faith had gotten reduced to this level of transaction, right? Works for works. I do this for God, he does this for me. And yet, they, they understood their history and they understood their tradition of faith as stemming back from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see it over and over in the Old Testament. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The lawyer would have known very well. The story of Abraham and Isaac, where God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. But instead, and, and he knows, he would have known that, that Isaac himself was, means laughter, right? It's an onomatopoeia from the Hebrew, uh, it, it's itzak. So it's supposed to sound like itzak, itzak, it's supposed to sound like laughter. It means grace. It means that God is, is at the end, towards the end of Abraham's life, he's giving him a grace, a son, He's given him grace in the form of a son. And now he's telling him to sacrifice him. And then he says, hold your hand. I'll provide a lamb. And then you see the ram in the thicket. You see, he would have known. What am I saying? What's he saying here? He would have known that the need is great. Not just for a lamb to be sacrificed on an annual basis not just for a scapegoat, but looking forward to a Messiah, looking forward to the son who would die in place of us. This lawyer would have known that the need was great, but he had forgotten. He had reduced it down to a transaction. He had... He had forgotten how great his need was. So, so Jesus takes a Samaritan. And it's as if to say, what must have happened in the life of this Samaritan to have done something so merciful and so amazing? You've got a priest who walks by on the other side, a Levi who walks on by, a Levite, both representing the heart of the tradition of the church. Love God, love your neighbor. And they walk on by. They just pass by. What must have happened in the life of a Samaritan who was, who was a Jew but, but also not a Jew who had, who had been disloyal to his tradition, to his culture, who had, had done what, what God had said not to do and that is, that is to mix race. And it wasn't about race at the time. It was about, it was about having a clearly defined people who represented God. And so the Samaritans were not, not, not looked down upon for anything that has to do with outward appearance or race. It, it, it has to do with loyalty. And so they were considered to be disloyal. So what must have happened? Something transformational. Something big. Something great. You see, the need is so clear even today Am I okay? Am I okay? In the 1970s, there was a book called, I'm okay, you're okay. (laughs) And uh, you can tell I'm not a big fan. It was based on this idea of transactional analysis. 
And it was just this self-affirming tradition of making yourself feel better, but not necessarily get better. I'm okay. You're okay. What Jesus is trying to say to the lawyer is, you're not okay. But that's okay. You're not okay. But that's okay. Today, we've forgotten grace. Our culture has forgotten grace. Why else? Here's the evidence. Why else would our division over social issues be so incredibly sharp and emotional? Why else would it be so important to be on the right side of history? Why? Because we're justifying ourselves with our positions. We're justifying ourselves by weighing in on the right way. We're justifying ourselves by being for the right cause and on the right side of the cause. It's not just about the cause. It's about me. This is how I'm going to be justified. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be okay because I am going to weigh in. I am going to be on the right side of history. I am going to be my opinion. You're not your opinion. Your opinions are going to change with your moods. You're going to get it right sometimes. You're going to get it wrong sometimes. You're going to weigh in uh, on the right issue for the, for, for, for the wrong reason. And so you see what's happening here is this lawyer is beginning to discover that there's something great and it's a need and he has it just like the Samaritan. There's something required of us and it's not just to be okay. It's not to justify ourselves and it's not to be on the right side of history. It's to be transformed so that when we weigh in about a cause, when we engage a world in need, we're doing it out of something different from trying to be justified. We're doing it because of something else called gratitude. Deep, deep gladness. There's a great need out there, and there's a deep gladness to connect with it. When I tell my story, when I tell certain stories... On Wednesday night commercial. On Wednesday night, we're going through this thing called uh, milestones, and uh, and and I'm I'm teaching about how to tell your stories. And when I tell my stories of transformation, the places where God has woken me up, the places where He's gotten my attention. When I tell, I told my story to to uh, to some folks that we're getting together with regularly, um, and and there are places in my story where it's just emotional for me. I just I can barely get through it. Why is that? Because, because of gratitude. Gratitude is the one emotion I have very difficult, uh, a very difficult time, and we have a very difficult time managing. When you're deeply grateful for something, it's just powerful. And so, even to mention 
the name of my mentor from age 16. I mean, I can begin to get choked up because I'm grateful for what God has done through certain people in my life. And even at some of the darkest moments that I've faced where he's shown up, that's deep gladness. To recognize that sometimes mercy and grace is severe, that he has to, for me, had to clock me upside the head, you know, in a couple of places, important places to say, let me get your attention. And it's grace. And the lawyer is missing. And so Jesus is trying to shock him. He's saying, look at what this Samaritan does. Because that's how deep your need goes. As deep and as dark as you see, as disloyal as you see that Samaritan, your need is worse. Your disloyalty is deeper and worse. And so when we we connect with the great need, we begin to connect with the deep gladness of gratitude. Deep gladness. We have to know the great need that's, that's out there. We have to know what people really need. They need to be okay. And they're not going to be okay on their own. They need grace. And we need, we need to be motivated and driven by that deep gladness. We need to connect with that deep gladness, that gratitude, that sense of what God has done in us. Because you, you can't give away what you don't have. And so when you connect with the grace of your life, when you can tell your stories of where God has has given you grace, even painfully so, even severely so. There's a great book by uh, Sheldon Van Alken, a friend of C.S. Lewis. I I think he may still be a professor at Lynchburg in Lynchburg uh, Lynchburg College. And, um, And he wrote this book, A Severe Mercy. And he talks about the, 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 the illness and death of his wife and the way that the Lord reached out to him in a severe way to get his attention through that difficult, painful experience. To be able to connect even in those dark, difficult places that God is at work is, is to be able to be driven into a world in need for the right reasons. With your deep gladness. Reminds me of a story that I've told you before. Probably, I think I've I've told this story, but but it's such an important, uh, vivid picture to me of an implied grace. Maybe I haven't told this story. Let's pretend I haven't. It's a story about a guy who is a gardener. He, has a, a, he grows a, a, a huge, beautiful, a prize-winning carrot, and he takes it to his king. And he says, this is the greatest carrot that my, my gardens can grow. Take it with my gratitude. And the king, seeing his heart of love, said to him, I have lands that now belong to you. And deeded them over to the man. And a nobleman at court, seeing what, what he had done for this gardener, he, he, th- he said to himself, if this is what the, the king will do for a small gift, what will he do for a great gift? And so the nobleman went and got 
his best horse. And he said, this is, this is my prize horse. This is the best horse that my stables have ever produced. Take it with my gratitude. And the king, seeing his heart of darkness, took the horse and dismissed him. And as the nobleman went to, to go away, and he, he saw a cloud come over his face and he said, you remembered what I did for the gardener. The gardener's gift was a gift of love. But you are just trying to make a profit. The gardener gave me the carrot, but you have given yourself the horse. You see, we can be driven into a world in need for very self-serving reasons, to justify ourselves. Did you see how I stopped and said, that's interesting, wanting to justify himself. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's many layers in here. He's, he's not just wanting to justify himself, the lawyer in the conversation, wanting to justify his, his reason for asking Jesus, right? Uh, there was a debate at the time, and, and, and there was a commentator, a famous commentator named Sirach. And Sirach uh, was a Jew who wrote in the uh, probably 100 to 150 B- B.C., before Christ. And so this was a controversy, and that is, that is, how far do you take grace? Do you take it to your enemy? Do you take it even to a Samaritan? And so wanting to justify himself, the lawyer says to him, now who's my neighbor? I mean, how far are we supposed to take this? He's not just wanting to justify himself in the conversation. The problem with the lawyer and the problem with us and the problem with the vitriol in our culture right now over every single issue is we're wanting to justify ourselves. And we're missing the grace that is poured out so that it can overflow. You see, what, what the lawyer understood is that, that loving God and loving your neighbor is the central prayer. It's called the Shema, the central prayer of, of, of the, of, of the Israel, Israelites' life. It's, it's, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's the Shema. I keep drawing this cross. Do you see what I'm saying? To love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. I don't think it's an accident that that the first tablet is all about loving God and the second tablet is all about loving your neighbor. You see how the law comes down to love God, love each other? And the lawyer missed the connection. The lawyer missed that when you experience the gratitude when you're in touch with the gratitude of what God has done, you have something to give. You have a driving force that doesn't ask, how, who should I count out? It asks, who can I count in? It doesn't say uh, to, the, to the fifth grader, now how far are you going to take this? It says, how far can we go? It's grace. I'm going to read to you from Bono. That's right. And it's going to be fine. Bono grew up in a very conflicted 
environment in Ireland where Catholics and Protestants, both claiming the name of Christ, were deeply divided, violently divided. Does it remind you of some other time and place? I think that's where we're headed. We're headed for a violent division. It's becoming violent, this division. And Bono, instead of becoming disillusioned with the faith, he connected with the central jewel of Christianity, and that is grace. And he wrote this song called Grace. What once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark no longer stings, because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. The bands come up here because this closing song is to be a prayer, not just a praise. Lots of different ways to pray. Paul says pray without ceasing. And in these closing moments, I want you to be prayerfully considering where you're called. Where does the world's great need find your deep gladness? Do you know your deep gladness? Can you tell your story? Not just to say, you know, uh, here here are the four laws, uh, spiritual laws of Scripture. But to be able to say, here's what God has done to me. Here's the grace of God in my life in this moment. Right here, can you build a bridge with your story, person to person to person? Oz Guinness says this, Calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively. God calls him, us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion and dynamism, lived out as a response and summons and service. See, what the lawyer is missing, what's missing in the conversation, is that to be called out into a world of need is to respond to the voice of the caller. Because the world needs what you have. And gratitude can drive it out there.